spinning back to the open side. Karim Bete, Optical here for Samu, who's quick. Pete Samu looking for Karim Bete. Back to Samu. Oh, that is wonderful. That is wild. That is amazing from the Wallabies. Hello there and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby. And for all of you, our dear listeners, we have something really special to begin the podcast tonight. This is what you get when you ask ChatGPT to write a poem about rugby union. Amidst the fields of green and gold, where strength and courage do unfold, there stands a game that's pure and true, a sport for all, both old and new. The crunching tackles, fierce and bold, the rocks and mauls that never fold, the scrums that test each team's might and the tries that bring in such delight. For rugby is more than just a game, it's a way of life, it's a source of fame. So come and watch and join the fray, experience the thrill day by day, for in this sport we find our joy and in its beauty we all rejoice. What a way to start the pod, Mitch. <laughs> it is, that that was That's awesome. That was I think we've just, I think... You know what? I think we've just found our intro to our World Cup special later in the year. We'll get you to do your deep Nick McArdle voice. You'll read that. We'll get some nice instrumental playing behind. Sorted. Done. Mate, how gold. And that is just ChatGPT writing it for us. That that's, That is a good way. Not only is it making my teaching easier in terms of resource preparation, but it's also writing content for the pod. What a, what a world that, we that live That literally, in. like, Ando put that in not a minute or two before we hit record. So, like, that's that's technology at its finest right there. Oh, well how, done. How good. How good. Now, either way, we are here for you, our dear listeners, with match reviews, player interviews, quality rugby chat, and all of that. So, tonight, obviously, I'm Ando. With me is Mitch. And we're going to be going yep. through a Who Am I segment. Our thoughts on round four of Super Rugby Pacific, the match of the week voted by you, our fans, is Brumbies versus Moana and the locker room. So I'm pretty excited to get into that. But Mitch, we do have some Super Rugby tipping that we need to uh, highlight and celebrate the success of our tipsters. Uh, do we ha- do- oh, geez. I mean, I-, I have to fess up here and-, and say before we go through the results that if anyone does follow our socials, they would have seen the tips that I put in last week. Man, and I went with my heart, not much <laughs> of my head, went with my heart and just thought, you know, Aussies, Aussie rugby's on the up. We- we've got this and-, and went with all the Aussie teams bar the Reds, which was a bit controversial in some parts. But uh, I didn't get a single so tip right. Retrospect. Didn't get a single tip right. Right, so Are that, that hurts as an Aussie rugby fan. Yeah, not one, not one. Oh my word! Oh, actually, no. Actually, I did. No, I went for the Blues. Yeah, not one. Right, so no. Uh, wow. Anyway, the people that did get their tips right, so well done to. Let me see if I can read this because I'm reading it off off the sheet. And uh, Jojo Rabbit or Dan G in first place on 42 points. Not 21. Then have banana splits or. Well, what's the number on the side? That's the so margin. 21, 6, and That's 42. 21 uh, is the overall uh, points. I've just given him points a heap more margin. I've just given him small points. Uh, Nick G on 21 points, also with Old Boys or Man, Manjit L, uh, also on 21 points. So it's tied up the top there. Everyone's on mm. the same points, and then it comes into that differential of the match of the week in which way you've you've tipped that and how close you were to the final score. So well done to those people. Uh, not well done to me. More likely, what well under Ando, uh, and yeah, I guess the the tactic of trying to go with the upset this early in the season's not paying off. So, no, I mean you you did kind of like pull out the desperation card a little bit early, but that's okay. So as oh, it's always, not that I haven't given up. I was just hoping, hoping that the <laughs> I was I had faith actually that it wasn't just 
just going for the desperation, I actually did think that the Force were going to win, and I did I did back those teams anyway. Fair enough, my friend. Well, as always, we have two simple calls to action. Firstly, consider joining our Discord channel to be part of the best Australian rugby community going around. The link is in any of our social media profiles and the live chats for the games are particularly raucous and entertaining. So make sure that you get involved there. Then lastly, please consider going to www.ko-fi.com slash pickanddriverugby, coffee.com, and supporting us with a one-off or a monthly payment. We'd really, really appreciate it, although we do it for love, not money. Every little bit counts. Now, Mitch, we're moving ahead now to a who am I, and I need to ask, how scared are you? Oh, I'm I'm absolutely, I've got no idea who this is going to be. I'm most likely going to get this wrong. Every time we've done trivia so far this year, I've been well off the mark. So hopefully I can put my best foot forward and, sh- and show why my credentials for being the host of this podcast or co-host of this podcast, but don't don't go too hard on me, mate. <laughs> it, it should be all right. It should be all right. So um, ladies and gentlemen, playing at home, basically I'm going to go through who am I when Mitch is ready and to answer it, he can say, oi, oi, and jump in. If you get it before Mitch, know that you have the moral and intellectual superiority over him, and please make sure <laughs> that you say it on our social media platform, so get involved there. Okay, are you ready, my friend? I'm ready. All right, let's go. Who am I? I was born in Auckland, the sixth of seven children. When I was six years old, we moved to Melbourne, searching for new work and opportunities. One of my favorite meals at home was the $5 large chips from a local chippy shop, and that would feed all of us. I started playing rugby at the age of 10. After growing up playing rugby, I made it into the 2006 Under-19 World Cup, and despite the loss of my father to cancer just beforehand, we came away winning this tournament. This was a big part of the reason why I received my super rugby first Super Rugby contract in 2007. I debuted for the Wallabies in the 2013 British and Irish Lions first test, but was knocked out in the opening oi, moments oi, of the oi, match. Oi, oi. Yep. Oh, knocked out. Uh, I don't. Th- okay, I've got a guess, but I think I'm wrong. Okay. Oh, I'll I'll go. Um, Nick Styles. No, my friend, not in 2013 British and Irish Lions first test. No. Um, oh, 13 was it? 2013 is what I said. Yep. So 2013 British and Irish Lions first test, but was knocked out in the opening moments of the match and couldn't continue on the field. I played 150 Super Rugby games for the first of my two Super teams, scoring 963 points across 12 seasons with that first team. Last year, I was the first Pacifica player to pass 1,000 Super Rugby points with my son running oi. on the tee yep. for the record kick. Oi, 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 oi. Yep. Oi. It's Christian Liliofano. Well done, my friend. Very well done. <laughs> um, I deliberately kept the Brumbies out of there because you would have got it really early. <laughs> um, and for those oh, playing Oh, that home, took a while. Yeah. No, that's okay. It wasn't... I didn't give you a huge amount before the British and Irish lines. So that was the first clue that 
um, I would have expected a, f- a few of the listeners to really latch on to. Um, I'll just finish it off anyway. In 2016, I was diagnosed with leukemia and despite the long and challenging medical journey, I managed to retake the field for the Brumbies in the final game of the 2017 season. And if you hadn't got it by then, I would have disowned you from the podcast. Um, <laughs> but very well done. Hey, when I was when I was doing a bit of research for that, um, I came across an awesome video, uh, My Story, Christian Leliafano by Ulster. So when he went over and played in Ireland, he they, they did a video about him and his background and his story. And it's absolutely brilliant. Really, really great video. So if anybody's got some time, we might chuck it on, on our socials. But either way, just go to YouTube and Google Christian Leliafano, My Story, um, and 10 minutes long. Awesome, awesome watch. Cool. So anyway, mate, thanks for that. Hope it was enjoyable. <laughs> it threw me. The, uh, the 2006 threw me. So... What was that first contract? Uh, so 2006 under 19 World Cup, and then the following year got his first Super Rugby contract. Yeah, so 2007. I was like, mm. oh, geez, he's been around for a while, hasn't he? Then. Yep. Yep. And when you were has. saying the uh, Lion series, it cut out a little bit, so I didn't actually get the name which Lion series it was. So ah, uh, makes I, sense. I, I was like, Nick Stars is, is a little bit older, mate. A little bit. Yeah, older. no. When, that's why after I said that, I was like, oh, 13. Of course not. <laughs> oh well. Oh well. Oh well. You got it, mate. Second guess. So very well done. So with that done, mate, why don't we move on now into our regular uh, round four discussion of the results from this weekend. Fantastic. So round four of Super Rugby did see a lot of action being played. We had a lot of uh, trans-Tasman tests, which we didn't have so much of the last few weeks. So good to be back there to kind of test where Australian rugby is really kind of at. And I think we sit here as rugby fans a little bit uh, shocked in some ways around some of these results. We're probably expecting a little bit closer games, but I'll quickly run through the results and then we might talk about some of the points from one or two of the games. So um, and, and before we do dive into it, our match of the round this week is Brumbies versus Moana Pacifica. So we won't be focusing on that in this section. We'll do that next. But uh, first up was the Hurricanes against the Waratahs. It was a 34-17 victory to the Hurricanes. We then had the Chiefs against the Rebels, 44-25 in that game to the Chiefs. Uh, the sort of top of the table clash in Super Rugby Pacific this year, we had the Blues hosting the Crusaders in Auckland. Um, the Crusaders did come away with the Chockeys there. 34-28, we then had the match of the round, which was the Brumbies and Moana Pacifica, 62-36 to to the Brumbies there. Uh, then on Sunday afternoon, we had the Highlanders hosting the Western Force. Highlanders too good for the Force in that game, 43-35. to And then the final game of the round was played uh, on Sunday afternoon in Queensland. Uh, the Queensland Reds hosting the Fijian in Drua, 27-24. to uh, So I guess we'll start with... The first game of the round, Ando, the Hurricanes and the Waratahs. What are your sort of thoughts around that game and the result? Yeah, look, it's really disappointing because I think the result in some way um, papers over a little bit of the Waratahs' uh, quality of play. So Lange Gleeson's um, 74th minute try really was against the runner play intercept from a Geordie Barrett short pass. So it should have in some ways finished 34-12 and that would have been a pretty fair representation of the game. The Waratahs in large parts were fairly poor. Um, lots of unforced errors, passes that were missing the players. Um, just defensive effort didn't seem to be there, which is something that's 
pretty worrying and really not something I would have thought of a Darren Coleman coach team that have seemed to be a I don't know, a lack of urgency, a lack of continuity between players. Um, yeah, really, really poor uh, to watch. Disappointing is probably a better way, disappointing. That's not to say the players weren't trying, but there were just way too many unforced errors for a team that was meant to be um, kind of pushing in the top half of the table. And now they come away one from four and things do not get any easier this week against the Chiefs at home. Yeah, and in saying that, there's there's a bit of an injury toll that's come out of that game. So at at the current time, we know that uh, Mosesi Tupolotu, who had his run on, well, not run on, but starting or debut for the Waratahs, did get an, an, a knock to his knee. So he's out for a number of weeks. We've got Lalakai Fiketi out, Charlie Gamble out. Um, they're the names that come to mind at the top of my head. And so the, the injury list for the Waratahs does sort of stretch forward a little bit as well from this game. So it's going to... Um, yeah, it's definitely well. going to sort of stretch the team's um, capabilities going forward. But uh, if we then shift across to some of the other games in the round, was there any game in particular that really jumped out to you or any points that you wanted to talk about? Oh, look, I think if you're looking for the best game across the entire weekend, um, including the Kiwi teams, you can't go any further than the Blues Crusaders. So the Crusaders were like, this was just an incredible game. Some amazing tries all round. Uh, look for Lester Fanga Anuku's, I think it was his second try. The Crusaders get a turnover in their own 22. The ball goes out to Richie Mwonga, who you would expect to do a clearance kick. And then he does a cross field kick. Um which bounces over the head of Tuivasa-Shek for the Blues. And Fanga Anuku is able to kind of get up high, bring it down and run the length of the field. It's already a contender for try of the season within the entirety of the competition. It was absolutely brilliant. Um, so, look, it was that that was just a star-studded game, really great rugby all around. And, I mean, the Crusaders came away winning by six points, but on another day, the Blues could have easily come away with the win. So I think it just shows the 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 quality amongst the top teams. It's, it's actually quite close. So I think the Chiefs, the Blues, the Crusaders, mm-hmm. and the Brumbies are all in and about the same level um, in terms of the quality of the performance that they're capable of putting out there. So that was a great game to watch. And for any neutrals out there, go and watch that match. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and I think in the final sort of five minutes, there was a few calls that could have gone either way and potentially mm. with the game on the line. So I think there's fans in both parties that are sitting here feeling like that game was in the, up until the final play was was up for grabs. So it's it's one of those nail biters that definitely go back and watch. If we focus just now on the Chiefs, the Rebels and the Highlanders in force, there's kind of a, a similar theme that came out of both of these games in that both of the Aussie teams started really strong and had really good minutes early on in the half, but it only took uh, between five to 10 minutes for the teams to kind of be off for whatever reason, whether it's through injury, losing players, or just sort of switching off mentally for a few minutes, and the score blew out really quickly. That Rebels and Chiefs game, the Rebels got to a quite a, a strong start and came off and were were pushing the Chiefs really, really strongly. Uh, Reese Hodge got injured, came off, and then within the space of five or ten minutes, the Chiefs scored like three tries, and then from that point, yeah. they were kind of just chasing the game. And quite similar, the Force were in the game for large parts and were hanging with the Highlanders, sort of faltered in and out of the game. Like they they were leading, they sort of let the Highlanders get away. They started ch- to chase them down, and then through real discipline, gave away a yellow card, and from that point, the Highlanders just pushed on. Um, so disappointing, but. I guess, again, it goes to show 
in uh, in Super Rugby Pacific, you need to be on against these Kiwi teams for the whole 80 minutes. You can't switch off at all because they can punish you. Yeah, I mean, you look at the Chiefs and Rebels game and what the Chiefs score in the 34th, 37th, 42nd and 45th minute. Now, to the Rebels' credit, they also score in the 39th minute, but just that blitz on either side of halfway, we talk about it all the time. It gets boring having to say, oh yeah, championship minutes either side of halfway. But the Chiefs were just so ruthless within that moment. Um, One thing that I found pretty interesting in terms of the Highlanders and Western Force is when I saw the team list for the Force, I was like, who the hell is Gareth Simpson? I had absolutely no idea who he was. Um, and then when I looked him up, I realized I had heard the name before because he has played a fair bit, fair bit of rugby over in England for Worcester Warriors before they folded. Um, so yeah. he he was brilliant. He did a nice little dink over the top for, um, who was it that went in for the try? Uh, for maybe Felui or Juster to go over. I can't remember who it was. Um, but yeah, he just showed that he actually adds something something different into that with a nice little short kicking game. And he played pretty well on debut for the Force. So that was an interesting addition. But I think that the... I guess the good thing is that the Force, um, they didn't get blown away playing Kiwi team away. But you also need to recognize this is the Highlanders who up until mm. this match had been pretty poor throughout the season. Um, yeah. So, I mean, no Kiwi team away is an easy proposition whatsoever. Force will take a lot of positives from, from this, but um, if they were really pushing to make that kind of top eight, they should be trying to get the scalps of the Highlanders in particular. Definitely. And just back on the um, the scrum half for the Western Force, there's a great article that was put out by Nathan Williamson this week uh, for rugby.com.au sort of explaining where he's been and that, um, Simon Cron had spoken to him around Christmas time and, and sort of, he was current, he was then playing for Saracens or was in the Saracens set up over in the premiership. And they spoke and said, look, come, come over. We, we might need you this year as injury cover. And so he's been over in the West training and learning the systems on a sort of trial training contract. And then they've given him a full-time contract with some of the injuries they picked up through the trials. And so he's now officially in the force and, and got his debut this week. Yep. Um, and the other thing is that Reese Hodges' injury is quite significant. Um, tendons, bone came out of the skin, so it's a compound fracture. So he's having to have surgery and it's going to be out for a fair while. So that's quite uh, significant. Was that, um, his, was that um, a finger injury? Yeah, yeah, finger injury, finger injury. So finger coming out yeah. of the skin. Because I, I saw him come off and I saw him in a sling yep. and I wasn't sure if it was shoulder. No, no, definitely finger. Um, but just sticking on that game for a moment more, massive, massive shout out to Carter Gordon. He was, again, excellent. I think he is probably the form fly half of the competition and he is just going from or strength the Australian to strength. Competition. Yeah, oh, yeah. And we're an Australian podcast talking about the Australian side of things. Um, But when we tie it back into our earlier conversation about kind of uh, Wallabies prospects who may well be on the plane moving forward, I think that the fact that he's playing at the Rebels and lacks a lot of Wallabies players inside and outside of him is really going to count against him in my mind. Uh, So if it's a toss of the coin between, say, him and Lolasiu as maybe the younger fly halves, I think Noah's going to be picked every day of the week. Um, because of having one thing exciting about him. Carter Gordon is he needs to be playing Australia A this year and he yeah. needs to play every minute he can for Australia A. And I think that will get him up to speed and, and ready with the programs, with that step up in fitness and physicality of the international game, particularly if they do. I don't know if they are playing that Pacific Nations series again this year due to the World Cup, but if they were to play it, 
or there were some tests. We haven't officially been confirmed whether Australia A is able to play tests this year, but if they do, it'd be a good opportunity for him. Yeah, good shout. Well, um, did were there any other games we needed to cover? Oh, Reds versus Drewer. We haven't said anything about that. Uh, what was your take on this game, mate? It was a really weird one where the Reds seemed to be in control and then kind of they just let the Drewer back into it with three late tries, 53rd, 65th and 71st minute to kind of challenge him again. Yeah, the Reds did look good in large parts of this game and I, you can't, I don't think you can necessarily say that the Reds took their foot off the gas at all. I think we're starting to see that this Drewer team is, is starting to get that fitness in the legs and able to put in those 80-minute performances now. And that teams need to be uh, need to be aware that they're going to run them down. One, one thing that we've spoken about, and every person playing a Fijian team in the world, other than probably sevens, expects is that the Fijians can usually put in a good sixty minutes, and then they just don't have that uh, match fitness to sort of see off games in that 80, 80 full minute, full eighty minutes. And so that's something that we're starting to see through the regular inclusion in Super Rugby that they are starting to do that. Last week, they chased the Crusaders down. They got the victory in the last minute of the game. And then this week, they came home strong against the Reds. So no team can overlook this Drua team anymore. And I think they're showing that on their day and in their conditions, when they can play the sort of football that they want to, dry, hot conditions, throw the footy around, they can put any team under pressure. And that's what they did this week. Yep. Yep. Good shout. I think... Um... Watching this game, it was pretty hard to kind of get too enthused about it. Enthused about it, just because there were some really consistent handling errors from both teams. It was a pretty stop-start match. The run meters across the entire match were really low compared to what we've seen in Super Rugby over the last few weeks. And there were some moments of quality from both teams. Some of the tries that were scored, um, Josh Fluke in particular, was really really strong. Um, and Revovo's try off a really nice counter-attack, um, quick tap off uh, Frank Lamani, I think, before he then spread it wide, and Revovo went in into the corner. It was just, for my mind, the Reds just weren't able to take control of the game within the final 20 minutes, and I was actually really concerned when James O'Connor came off and Tom Liner came on, because it just seemed like the Reds were playing... Uh, with an up-tempo and loose way of holding onto the ball, not willing to just put it back into the corners, get into the set piece, and try to pin the drawer back within their half. I just felt like they were playing into the hands of the drawer rather than them trying to control the game by slowing it down, going to set piece, which is a strength more so of the Reds than the drawer. Yeah, and Harry Wilson mentioned in the post-match that the, it was so humid and hot on the field that the ball was like a cake of soap and that every time you touched it, you basically nearly dropped it. And so that's mm -hmm. why that, along with some of the refereeing decisions, no disrespect to the referees at all, but I think there was something like 63 penalties given or something in this game. It was, um, <laughs> it's a little bit maybe, high. Maybe it was, um, it there was were 30, 33. 33. Yeah, I doubled that. I thought it was 33 and a half for some reason in my head. Anyway, uh, 33 penalties given and it just it didn't allow this game to flow. It was so stop-start with players dropping the ball, with pen with like every every kind of phase in this game ended up in a penalty. So it was just both teams, I think, were getting a little bit frustrated with that, not able mm. to get a flow going. The heat was sapping uh, the players down. So overall, I mean, it, it's still a good spectacle. I still recommend go back and watch this game if you can. But uh, I don't think the, the Reds will be happy they got the win, but I don't think they'll be happy with the way they finished that game off. Yeah, fair enough, mate. Fair enough.
Cool. Shall we move now into our match of the week? I would love to, mate. I would love to. So how do you want to run this? Uh, well, so for those listening along at home, um, we are doing the match of the week, which is the Crus- Crusaders. What am I talking about? I'm even looking at them. <laughs> the Brumbies and Moana Pacifica down in Canberra. 62 to 36 was the final score. Now, I've um, not been able to watch the full game, so I've just been able to go through the mini, which was quite extensive for for a mini this week. I think it came in at like 32 minutes, which sort of definitely blows out that 20-minute mark. But a lot of tries scored. Defence, somewhat optional in this game. Very exciting rugby. A lot of free-flowing ball in contrast to the game in Queensland later in the weekend. What were your initial thoughts of this game? Yeah, this was this was a really entertaining game. And I think that a lot of it comes down to the fact that Moana were just unwilling to lay down and accept the kind of dominance of the Brumbies. Um, but they also had the capacity to exploit mistakes from the Brumbies and just run the length of the field and get a try. Like the opening try to Miracle Failangi in the second minute was just a brilliant um, pickup off a loose ball and just runs the length of the field. Uh, so he, he was just incredible throughout the game. And then you it had... It wasn't even some- a loose ball, it was an intercept. Oh, sorry. It was an intercept. I was uh, I was thinking Andalus yeah. try for some reason is is big up there, um, yeah, right. yeah. but yeah, Fai early try kind of set the template before Motunga went. Motunga went over in the ninth minute as well, and things were looking pretty dangerous for the for the Brumbies early on, um, but they worked their way back into the game. Moana stayed in touch with them until around about the fiftieth minute of the match, where where the game just turned, and from that point onwards, it was essentially one way traffic for the Brumbies. One thing I was really impressed with by Moana Pacifica is that they had definitely done their homework in preparation for this game and they were implementing things in the set piece and then just generally in play that was really exploiting some of the and I I won't I guess I won't call them weaknesses of the Brumbies because this team has shown so far this year that they don't have many weaknesses but maybe some of the areas that are open to be exploited and Moana Pacifica did that. So that second that second try oh, to the so number good. seven to Mont- Montunga is a mall try. And yep. how often do we see a mall try conceded by the Brumbies, particularly nine minutes into a, a, a game? But what Moana Pacifica did really well is that they sort of executed two pods. Like they know that the defensive structures of the Brumbies are so strong that as soon as that player comes down on hits the ground, they're just going to drive them backwards. So what they did is when they went up, they threw to a second pod in the front of the lineout, and the forwards all uh, attached to the second pod at the back of the lineout and pushed them, which then meant that there was hardly any defense there for that first front pod, which then just drove over and scored the yeah, try. So that was really like a clinical play that is well done. We don't often see scored against uh, a team like the Brumbies. Yeah, and it just showed throughout the game that although the um, although Moana really struggled in their own mall D against the Brumbies and Luke Roma went over for a couple of tries that I think Connell McInerney will be hunting him down to gain a recompense for, um, Moana at the same that's time... My, were, that's my spot, mate. Get yep, out of there. Get out. Um, Moana were still able to basically come away with a couple of more tries of their own against the Brumbies and, and some tight in tries, which you don't see come very often against Moana, so against the Brumbies. So that was really impressive. But, I mean, you you look at this game and you see 
the the capacity of the Brumbies to play different styles of rugby depending upon the needs of the moment. So they do have the capacity to go over for more tries. They do have the capacity yeah. to bash against the line and get away um, over multiple phases. But at the same time, some of the backline attacks in the final 20 minutes, some of the set-piece plays, Andy Muirhead had a blinder, finally saw Corey Tool in mm-hmm. space. And dear God, he must be the fastest man in Super Rugby Pacific at the moment. Um, and, he was oh, just absolutely incredible. Who who would be genuinely? Who who do you think would be faster than him? Maybe it's his, his acceleration that's the fastest, but I, I'm not sure there would be many people faster. I feel I feel like Richie Moe's pretty fast when he gets going. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I wonder if there's actually any data on that. That'd be fun to contact the clubs and be like, hey, hey. I did it, see a tweet by Sean Maloney this morning asking that, and I don't, I didn't see the results of it, but. Um, yeah, I, I do wonder. Uh, Lord Laurie commented on someone's tweet that that uh, Tool got up to ten point one, ten point zero one in terms of, I guess, pace, whatever that means. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's the the time for running a hundred meters, ten seconds, which is fast. That's really fast. Yeah, I'm just quickly reading through. Oh, he's just asking questions. Come up. on, Shawnee, give us some answers, mate. Oh, let's get in. Let's, let's, that's disappointing. Um, but in terms of the rugby itself, I mean, this this was brilliant. A couple of other points that I really enjoyed from this were watching um, Tom Wright come in from 15 and direct a bit of the play sometimes as a playmaker. Yeah. He's really growing in that role. And so that's good to see him add those strings to his bow rather than just being a bit of a finisher or a strike runner. Uh, but in addition to that, Andy Muirhead is, in my mind, the most underrated player in super rugby he cops a fair bit of crap from people um just in terms of wondering why he got wallaby's selection but he's consistently been one of the brumby's top try scorers and best just just most consistent players over the last few seasons and i just think he is such a quality servant for australian rugby in terms of the intelligence of his play rarely dies with the ball usually makes the right pass, usually sticks his tackles, and is actually decent over the ball for a player who's not actually that large. Um, so, And he yeah, pops he up, like, his, his work rate as well. He's yep. not just the type of winger who stands on the wing and, and finishes things off. Like, yes, he does do that, and he does that well. He scores tries that he shouldn't really be scoring, a bit like Max Jorgensen down at uh, New South Wales. But uh, he also goes looking for the ball in the midfield and plays that sort of distribution role as well, like, He's the kind of player that it, you just, as a defender, you don't know what he's going to do. Like you can't really anticipate what his next move is because he, he's not necessarily just going to be that player. If he pops up in the midfield with the ball, he's not just going to take the line on. He'll also distribute it out the back and feed off his, his other backs and put other people into holes as well. So he's that type of player that puts defenders in in sort of second guessing what he's going to do when they come into contact with him. Uh, and he's so nimble and able to step around players too that he creates space for not only himself but the players around him. Yep. Yep. Um, Ryan Lonigan, 50th cap. Uh, who else did we have? We had Kale, Charlie Kale come on for his debut. Ben O'Donnell um, had his first try for the Brumbies as well. I think Jack Wright, was that a debut for Jack Wright as well? Um, so you have a few players that are really coming through the ranks, but how good is it that the Brumbies can be bringing on Ryan Lonergan and Jack Debrasini at the 50, 55th minute to replace uh, Nick White and Nolalasiu and just trust that they have the experience and the skills to bring the game home? 
Well, that's the thing that I guess one weakness or downside of the Brumbies for the last few seasons has been their depth at 10. That mm. Noel Alessio was kind of the man. And if he got injured, there was a fair big gap between him and the next player. Uh, so now it's fantastic to see that Debrasini or Alessio, either player, I mean, they both bring different things when they're playing, but you can comfortably as a Brumbies fan know that when either of those players comes on, there's not going to be a lot of difference in quality. And the game style might shift a little bit. I think Debrasini tends to attack the line a little bit more than Noah, but he doesn't he doesn't do things worse. He doesn't have a worse pass. He doesn't have a worse kick. Like that's I think overall for this Brumbies team at the moment is what's so interesting, I guess, as a fan of Australian rugby of a different province, is that no matter who it is, players coming in for their debut, they look good. They know the system. Yeah. They know what they need to do. They know the style of play that they need to do. They do their jobs. The Brumbies have just broken the style of rugby down into just such small little incremental things. Do this, do it well, and that's all you need to do. And the wider sort of game plan takes care of itself. And so when these players come in, they look like superstars and they look like really established players, which we don't necessarily always see in Australian rugby. And, I mean, you just look at the squad and the broader squad, you've got players like uh, Tom Ross, who is on the bench as a prop. And yet he's been with the Brumbies for four years now and he's only 24. So it just shows that you're bringing on a player who doesn't have a huge amount of Super Rugby experience. He's played 19, uh, uh, 30 games. 30 games, so that's not horrible. But at the same time, you're bringing on this younger player who knows what to do because he's been at the club for four years and over that time they've been giving him incremental minutes and just little bits of the game here and there to to get him up to speed with the requirements of super level rugby but with uh one thing we haven't mentioned is that Lenny Ikatao was withdrawn right before the game and so you had Tamati Tua starting at 12 and Ollie Sapsford at 13 and they stood up they were good um Ollie Sapsford for me is someone that's really had an opportunity to um show more this season than what we've seen previously. And Tamati Tui is obviously benefiting from the loss of Irae Simone overseas. And he has been really impressive both in attack and D, mm. just in the quality of his defensive hits. Um, I'm, I'm just thinking about the big hits that I see. But also his attacking play has been really pleasing. He's been matching, running good lines, got decent distribution game as well. Um, so yeah, it's another one of those things, like you were mentioning that when you lose a player, others step up and Tua and Sapsford have done that over the last couple of weeks. It would be really interesting to chat to someone at this point in the season that's involved, whether it's a coach or a player, and we might try and get on that and get that done for our fans in the next few weeks. But what it seems to be at the Brumbies at the moment around that point is that these players come in and they don't have to worry about doing their job and that frees them up to just play rugby. And so when we look at other provinces, when we look at Queensland, when we look at New South Wales, we look at the Tars, for example, Ben Donaldson this week shifted from fullback into fly half. And we were expecting him to come in and have an impact and sort of change up the style. We were hoping that he would unlock the centers a little bit more. He would feed the outside backs more so than Tane Edmund was doing. But he didn't do that. Uh, and not to say that Edmund has been playing bad, but Donaldson didn't come in and put in a bigger performance or a better performance this week than Ed Med had. And so these players, whatever the system is that DC is doing at the moment, I feel like the players that are coming into these positions are just so focused on doing their, their job right. 
and doing what they need to do that they're not able to really look at the wider game plan. And the Brumbies don't have that. And the players that come in, like um, Ben O'Donnell when he came in, Mm. he's playing expansive rugby. He's popping up where he needs to. He's playing seven style in a way uh, on the 15-man field. So these players just have that freedom and that ability to play the style of rugby that they, they can and they instinctively do without having to worry too much about the nitty-gritty. Yep. Yep. Good shouts. Well, mate, that's all I kind of wanted to talk about with the Brumbies. Really entertaining game. Brumbies came away with it in the end. Uh, watch the post-match presser afterwards and watch um, Nick White be irrelevant for the vast majority of the conversation because Bernie just answered everything. <laughs> so that, that was fun to watch. It's not uh, the first time that's happened. Look, no. I don't want to end this on a, on a bit of a, a queer... I've got a question yep. um, that I picked up watching this game. And so I don't know whether it's an interpretation that's changed in the first three, four rounds of Super Rugby this year, but I can remember sitting and watching particularly the Reds and the Waratahs trial game in Narrabri, and there was a number of penalties to both teams at line-out time, particularly when they went from line-out to mall, for the pillars or the lifters getting in front of the ball carrier. It was something, and I don't know whether that was just a law trial that they were trialing in in those trial games, but... There was a number of times where they were pinged and said that you can't be in front of the ball carrier. Like you can't get in between the defensive players and the ball carrier. Hmm. There was three tries the Brumby scored this week, particularly Nick Frost, when he stepped into the space between the defenders and Caden uh, Neville with the ball. And it wasn't pinged. And that, uh, Luke yep. Reimer scored two of those tries. Yep. So I'm just wondering whether that's something that's changed, whether that particular game in Narrabri was a trial and this is what we're looking at, but we're not bringing in for Super Rugby or it's just something that for whatever this re- for whatever reason wasn't adjudicated this week? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. Um, good question. My th- initial thought around it would ask, I wonder if the letting that go is more in line with the desire to increase the speed of the game and place more fatigue on players for latter parts of the match. Um, that would seem likely to me. The that that decision, I thought at the time was just a bit pedantic. I'm like, yeah, come on. I mean, there's so many other things that goes on in a lineout mall as well. Um, yeah, no it's more. just that little bit pedantic. But um, I mean, it's one of the laws, so I can understand if the ref does call it. I, I wonder if it's just let's get rid of it and focus on faster rugby, or let's ignore it and focus on faster rugby. Yeah. No, it's just something I noticed in this game that like the Brumbies are known for their malls and have have scored so many points off their malls. Not so much this season. This game, I think, is the first game we've seen them rely on their mall a lot more. Not that they scored all their tries through it, but in in previous years, yes, that was kind of their set piece that they would go to and score a lot of their points. Mm. Um, But yeah, just an interesting observation. Yep, good shout. Well, mate, that brings us to the end of our recap of the match of the round. So should we now jump ahead into the locker room? Let's go. In the locker round, we've had a bunch of questions come through. Mitch, we have had one late submission come on, which I've just put on the run sheet. Not sure if there's anything we can do about it at this late stage. But the first question has come in from Ben Vanderlinden. Um, we did ask for their thoughts and people's opinions about kind of New Zealand versus Australian rugby. New Zealand sides punish mistakes and are kings of converting pressure into points. Game managers always seem to step up to make sure their team's bad patches are short. Five minutes compared to the Aussies, 10 minutes or so on and so forth. 
thoughts on that one, mate? Do you think that those are some of the key differences between the Aussie and the Kiwi teams? I think we've also just, yes, definitely. That bends right in that regard. That the, the mistakes and the periods of mistakes the New Zealand's make is a lot different and smaller to the Aussies. But I also think that comes back to the depth and the experience that we have, particularly in the fly half position in Australia. Like outside of maybe Brumbies and the Reds at the moment, they've got two experienced fly halves. If you qualify Deborah Sini as an experienced fly half, James O'Connor and um, Deborah Sini, those two. Everywhere else relatively has young fly halves. Carter Gordon, Tane Edmed, Ben Donaldson, Will Harrison, uh, who's who's playing 10 at the moment for the force. Um, Hamish Stewart, if he's there. I mean, Bryce Hegarty, but I don't know if he's... Like, I think it comes down to the experience and the, the when you look at the New Zealand conferences and the teams that they've got, they've got experience in that position. Yep. Yep. Yeah, real good shout. Okay. Question from Jock Cudmore or comment. Um, should be a majority Brumbies will be scored this year. It's daylight between them and the next best Australian team. Best we can hope is that the cohesion can take us deep this World Cup. The Reds' discipline is terrible. The Rebels and Force haven't got a killer instinct and instinct, and the Tars are misfiring. Which I think on all those points, that's fair enough. I think it's going to be mostly Brumbies, Reds within a Wallaby squad. That would make sense to me. Your thoughts on that one? I think, again, it comes down to, and what we sort of spoke about earlier in our preview of the game, or our review of the game, was that the Brumbies have such a good structure at the moment that everyone in the squad knows what they need to do. And so does that necessarily translate into the Wallabies? I don't know. We, we've mm. lost that intel that we had. We don't have Dan McKellar involved. We don't have Laurie Fisher anymore. So I do wonder if Eddie Eddie is now looking at just pure talent and how he can style a gameplay around the players that he picks. Um, from a cohesive point of view, though, it should be the Brumbies. Yep. Yeah, without a doubt. They're clearly the best team within Australian rugby at the moment. Now, moving on to Hugh Tyndall. He sent a couple of questions in. So he has kind of responded to the first question. What were the highlights of the weekend? First up, the Brumbies and Moana Pacific Tri-Fest versus the Blues and Satyrs slugging it out. Completely agreed. He thinks that... Nick Frost will be the first picked lock, even with all of our players available. Interesting shout. Definitely one of the most talented, probably the most natural athlete out of our locks. Um, he does offer mm-hmm. kind of that all-round role in comparison to some of the other locks. How many charges down says he got now? Like, he's just, you don't <laughs> say that by other locks, really. Many, Many to his name. Um, and he claims that New Zealand sides are so bloody good because they have the depth off the bench and a third tier, which helps create the former depth off the bench. So very well said. Uh, Mitch, in lieu of the NRC coming back, because it seems entirely unlike, unlikely as every day progresses, Australia A is at the way forward. Um, what are we going to be doing to increase our super rugby squad's depth? Super Rugby A or Super Rugby Australia, whatever you want to call it, it needs to be played. Once the Australia A program starts, and if that's doing its own thing, you've got the Wallabies uh, next in line playing Australia A, the Australian Super Rugby provinces need to be playing each other. Yep. If that's just a one-round run round thing, that's fine, but we need to be doing something. Yep. Yep, good shout. So during that window where the Wallabies players are off overseas and you get the kind of academy teams with the remaining non-international super rugby players to play a short competition against against each other. Love it. 
Love it. Um, now, QT also asks, what happened to hashtag year of the tar? Um, I'll, I'll quickly respond to that. Um, and then you can jump in afterwards with a couple of quick thoughts. Uh, a couple of things happened. Injuries happened. The lack of a lock happened <laughs> as well. We already knew that going into it. And then um, Hannigan and Sinclair got injured. Uh, plus, I think we put too much uh, stock on the Brumbies match, which is always going to be a hard game. And it seems like the teams really struggled to get up again after that early loss within the season and quite a significant match. So they're now one from four with a really tough game against the Chiefs to come. Uh, Mitch, what happened to the year of the tar? Yeah, I think injuries, as you said, that's that's massive. Injuries or player unavailability, I think. Curtly Beal's non-selection has really thrown a, a spanner in the works for DC's plans. Mm. Um, I also just think at whatever... Whatever the game plan is, it's not evident to us fans sitting and watching the game. Like it doesn't feel like there's a a goal or a sort of structure that the Waratahs are playing to. So whether the the players just aren't up to playing that style or the style isn't matching the new set of rules or laws this year, uh, I don't really know what it is. There was a lot of emphasis in the offseason about getting big and bulky and strong to sort of really push those New Zealanders around. But the new laws in play this year have sort of negated that physicality and sort of have relied on players being nimble and fast and spreading the ball wide. And that's something that I think the Waratahs aren't doing well at the moment. So whether the preparation in the offseason wasn't great, whether the game plan isn't suiting the uh, style or the ability of the current players and the playing crew that we've got, um, it just it, it doesn't everything at the moment doesn't seem to be clicking. Well, let's just quickly run through the injury list for the um, Waratahs. And this is coming from um, the Draft Rugby Casualty Ward, so get around it. Uh, Charlie Gamble came off with what looked like a partial dislocation, so could miss four to six weeks, depending upon the severity. Lalakai Fakedi came off at halftime with a shoulder injury, not sure of the severity at that point in time. Tane Edmund suffered a back injury, no, no word on how severe it is. Masisi Tupilotu, low-grade MCL tear hopefully back by round eight. Lange Gleeson may not be available this week because of a knee complaint. Max Jorgensen has an ongoing shoulder niggle and the team's trying to treat him really carefully because he's 18. Um, Namani Nadolo, he came up with a knee injury. so bloody good. Yep. He came up with a knee injury after 60 minutes. We might well have Dave Parecki, Ted Wilson, Teddy Wilson, Jed Holloway, Will Harrison, Dylan Peach, and Joey Walton back from injury. Hopefully. Um, and I mean, ongoing injury list. Doesn't Will Harrison have a toe injury from last week? Uh, you let me quickly jump back up to where that was. Um, likely back Will Harrison. Yeah. He, he's touch and go from his toe injury. Um, so he okay. might be available, but maybe not. And the ongoing injuries, Hugh Sinclair's missed, gone for the next two months. And Archer Holtz has a rib injury. And then you obviously have Angus Bell, who's like out for the season. Um, so you're mm. right. Injuries haven't haven't helped. And when you, you know how we looked at the Brumbies before and gave an example of Tom Ross, 30-cap player, four years, still only 24 years old. Um, we just don't have yep. that level of player kind of coming off the bench. Somebody that's been with the club for four years and has kind of 30 caps. Who have we got coming off the bench? We've got maybe Archer Holtz, who's probably got like 15 or 16 caps. Um, we've mm-hmm. got Tolu Latu. Actually, he's obviously quite experienced, but 
Um, outside of that, we've got players that have just joined the squad over the last year or two and are really lacking in super rugby experience. So we've got, yeah, we've got certain, and no, we don't need to talk all Waratahs at the moment, but we've got certain positions in the team that we don't have a lot of depth in and other positions where we do have a lot of depth. Mm. I think the answer to all of this, Ando, is you and I need to start hitting the hills, mate. We might be getting a call up this week. <laughs> we might be putting on the shorts and the socks to to face the Chiefs. You take McKenzie and I'll just hide out the back. How does that sound? That that sounds absolutely brilliant. They do need a lock and I suit a lock slightly more than you do. Uh, a little bit taller, Yep. but probably... I'll, um, I'll end up in the front row, unfortunately, and just get absolutely folded. Yep. I mean, look, just uh, just touching on it, Sateki Latu, Daniel Botha, um, Daniel Botha, like Harrison Goddard, Masisi Tupilotu coming off the bench they're just players that don't have the experience yet and haven't been around a team for very long so no wonder the, yep. the squad isn't going well because we just don't have that depth of experience currently and we spoke about how the year of the tar was premature it people were people were hyping it up way too early we were thinking it could be a good season but we're a couple of injuries away, and what's happened? We've got the injuries for some of our key players. Like the fact that Jorgensen and Nadolo have been playing like 80 minutes over the last few weeks just shows how much we miss. Like James Ram, Dylan Peach because of his injury, Alex Newsom leaving as well. Like we would kill to have Nobby Newsom back at the moment just to be that solid, dependable player. That well, I think, and, and realistically, I, I think Darren Coleman's plan was for Curtly Bill to be the fullback. And for Nadolo and to Jorgensen, Jorgensen wasn't even meant to play big minutes this year. He was meant to develop under Kurtley Beal and to come on later later half of the, the year when he's had a full sort of season of training against men to come on and, and get that experience at fullback or on the wing. Uh, Nadolo was meant to be an impact player. Neither of those players were meant to be getting this amount of minutes by round four of the season. So the fact that we have lost... Uh, we've now Bill's no longer available for selection and Jorgensen's now injured. Edmed is out injured too. So that means Harrison has, uh, Donaldson has to play fly half. If Harrison's not back, I really don't know who we select at fullback this week. It's like, yeah, it's a legitimate good problem. Good, very good questions. If we both have Edmed and, um, Edmed and Harrison out, then it's going to be tough. But if either one of those two are available, you just push um Donaldson back into 15. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, but if, if they are, what do we do? Yeah, good question. Eddie we'll have to just see who's back from injury and then take it from there. Um, but let's move on. Otherwise, we're just yeah, going to turn this into a Tars pod. Uh, going to turn into... Oh, Tars pod. We've got two more things. Number one, if you can, firstly, congratulations to Ireland for the Grand Slam victory in the Six Nations. Very well-deserved. Number one team in the world. They are playing some excellent rugby. So it's going to be wonderful to watch them bomb out in the quarterfinals at the World Cup later in the year. So that's going to be entertaining. <laughs> um, but if you haven't had a chance to catch up on uh, Freddie Stewart's red card, did you catch this, Mitch? Did you see this? I've seen the footage of the red card, not yeah, the great. full game, but yeah. Yeah, cool, cool, cool. Um, so basically, um, Hugo, uh, Hugh, Keenan, Keenan, Hugo Keenan, um, the Irish fullback, he is receiving the ball in a backline play and he kind of like the ball either hits the ground or he drops it in front of him. The ball goes to the ground in front of him and he's leaning forward, bending over, trying to pick up the ball. So he ducks himself into contact. Um, Freddie Stewart's coming on. He's lined him up for the hit and then sees Keenan 
kind of bending over, falling over within the process of trying to get the ball. And he tries to pull out of the tackle um, and he doesn't make an attempt to actually make a tackle. And he ends up kind of hitting him side on as he's tried to, in the last moment, get out of the way. And Jaco Pipe has gone ahead and given Freddie Stewart a red card for it, which has mm. strongly divided the um, social media world, as any topic always does. So just really quickly, what's your like 20-second take on this? Should it have been a red card? Do you think Piper got it correct? Yes. Red okay. card, direct head contact, um, drop shoulder, leaning into the contact. Uh, in my it, that it's it's all seconds, but I still don't know what Freddie Stewart was going to do had the fullback actually picked the ball up because he's not in a position to make a tackle either. If he comes at him, if he continues through with the run, he's going to hit him with a cock shoulder anyway. So he's not in a position to make a tackle. He's not come in in a safe way. He needs to do more, in my opinion. So I'm happy with it being a red card. All right, and I'll just for the fun of it, I'm I strongly disagree with you, but that's okay um, because I think. The time that Freddie Stewart has since he, um, he when he sees can drop the ball, he tries to pull out of the tackle, which is, thing, is the thing that makes him stand up. Um, he would have been able to commit a regular tackle if um, he had thought that it was going to be a continuation of play or something like that. And basically, in my mind, it's just one of those unfortunate rugby incidents that happens. And I don't actually consider it to be foul play. I think it's just unlucky. But in any case, let's move on because we did have one final question that I'm going to read out from Super Rebels Rugby, who asks or says, if I haven't missed the boat, what's the best away game experience in the comp? I'm pretty sure it's La Toca for the Fijian and Drua. Um, if you can get over to Fiji for any of their home games, uh, ladies and gentlemen, just go. Just go. It would be absolutely incredible. Yep. Or and Mitch, I where would you love to go to watch a game away? Uh, it hasn't happened yet, but Moana Pacifica is due to play, I think it's the Rebels off the top of my head, but I could be wrong. They're due to play in Samoa, Apia, uh, later in the year. So that's going to be fantastic because not only is it, Samoa, there'll be Tongan fans and Fijian fans and everyone will be there. That's the place to be. 100% Fiji is the place to be at the moment because we've seen it. The crowd's going off. I expect Apia to be going off for Moana Pacific later in the year as well. So that's where I would want to be. Fair enough. And then I'll answer the final question. Which city has the best super rugby nightlife or rugby bars and pubs? Um, I will just say that I think that Caxton Street in Brisbane is pretty up there in terms of the quality of pre and post match opportunities. Um, that would be absolutely wonderful. I haven't had the chance to do it. I've just heard so much from people who have. That would be that would be brilliant to go and catch a game there. So Make sure you get involved in sending your uh, best rugby experiences and places pre and post match to catch up. Um, particularly, I'd love to hear about any establishments in and around the major cities where the um, where the teams are that are just rugby havens, places that you can go and watch mm. rugby union games and have a good crowd of union supporters there with you. Because at the place that I was at on Saturday night, um, I had to kind of along i had to make friends with the uh, pacifica security guard and get him to help me sway the people to put the uh, super rugby on the tv and the two of us were standing there <laughs> chatting watching it <laughs> which is good fun um so if you do know of any places, one thing i want to say before we finish up one thing yep. i do want to say before we finish up and it's a theme of this round but super rugby this year is it's the the content's great 
the yep. action on the field is fantastic, but we have so much work as a as a game to do to get ourselves back in the plus. The fans throughout all games this weekend, the crowds were dismal. Yep. The the Wellington game there was there was much more yellow seats available than players than than people in the crowd. There was not a game that I think was more than half full across the whole round. It's not just an Australian problem. The same problems happening in in New Zealand. Obviously, Fiji is its own thing. They sell out and go nuts for it. But Saturday night after the rugby, I oh no Friday night after the rugby, I did a quick search through the channels. Channel Seven had AFL on, and it was play, I don't know who was playing or where it was being played, but it was full, packed to the brim for just a regular AFL round. Then we had the Roosters and the Rabbitohs playing on Channel 9. Both of those, mind you, were on free-to-air on a Friday night. Uh, and again, Allianz Stadium, absolutely packed. We had the Waratahs there two weeks ago, and it was not even half full. Well, maybe maybe 60% full, 70% full, but it wasn't nowhere near the amount of numbers that they wanted to get to. So we need to do a lot more. And I'm just saying this, again, it's the work that has to be put in to make our product more enticing for people to want to go and see it. Just having the game of rugby on isn't good enough at the moment because we need to be looking at the other things off the field to engage people to come in. Speaking of that, before we finish up, Ando, Super W kicks off this weekend. Mate, I cannot wait. I have already prepared to go out to the um, the Waratahs women's game against the Chiefs. It's a doubleheader match, which is really exciting. So I'm going to be going out, making sure I get in there early for the women's kickoff at five o'clock um, beforehand. It's going to be yep. going to be awesome fun. Really, really keen. We will be there. So if you are at the game, do come and say hi. We'll probably do a live thing or something. I'm not sure what we'll do, but. We'll be there early for the women's game um, and then we've got the, the Waratahs men's game afterwards. But it's not just New South Wales that has the double header. The Rebels women are playing as well. I think they play, I don't know. Do you have the list in front of you? Who are they playing? But they're playing a double header with the men down, down in Melbourne sure. as well. So that's a fantastic. Yep. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's on Saturday, not Friday, but that's awesome as well. So if you are a Rebels fan based in Melbourne, do get along and support the Rebels women's team as well. I think they play the Reds. Yep, get involved. It's going to be great. It's going to be it's going to be great. So, yep, thank you very much, everybody. It's been an absolute pleasure. Make sure you get amongst it for the Super W season kicking off this coming week, and we really, really appreciate all your support. Have a wonderful week, and we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.